here, um, especially if you're visiting with us. Thanks for giving us a shot. Um, I, I love this time of year. Oh, there's Lydia. I miss Lydia. I'm glad you're here. Um, especially if you're visiting with us, man, this is the time of year people start to give the Jesus thing a shot, you know? Um, and what I love it when people who have never, never thought about it before start thinking about it, but what I really love too is when people who have been sitting in the pews for a long time start actually giving the Jesus thing a shot, you know? People who have been pretending or people who have been doing the religious thing but not the Jesus thing start thinking maybe there's more to this thing, and that's kind of where we're going here um, between now and Christmas, I'm excited about that. Before we get started today, I want to give you a chance to get a deep breath. Um, Many of you have physical things going on. You have emotional things going on. Almost all of us have some sort of financial thing going on. Um, We all have things that will completely cloud our vision today. And you will miss what God wants to say if you're not careful today. So um, whatever you got going on, whether it's some frustration, it's Christmas time, so that means you're mad at somebody right? There's a family member, there's a friend, there's somebody that you're a little ticked at and you've got to hide it because it's Christmas. If you can get rid of that right now, just, just for this morning, just take a break from that so that you can hear straight from God. So God, God said, Jesus said this thing about God that um, not very many Christian people talk about because it's such a hard teaching, but it is so true and we miss it. And is that, that your, your relationship can, with God can only be as good as the relationship with the people around you that he has put in your life. Uh-oh, right? Yeah, but you don't know how my mom, oh. yeah, well, you're not exempt. So if you've got junk going on in your life right now, it's like you've got a snorkel. I've used this illustration before. It's kind of weird, so hang with me. It's like you've got a snorkel up to, to God, and if you've got a problem with people that are close to you in your life, it's like there's a clog in your snorkel. Your relationship with God isn't right. Something has to change the close relationships around you. And maybe today's a good moment for you to just pause. Stop the anger, pause the frustration just for a moment so you can hear clear from God because you won't hear clear if all you can think is hate this morning. So I'm gonna give you a chance to do that. Give you a chance to kind of get rid of the, the, uh, all of the materialism. You know what that word is. That's a, a judgmental word that people use um, to talk about loving things, but we all have it at some level we all have this problem with things and the closer we get to christmas the more it starts to surface and it starts to change the way we think about god and each other so maybe this morning you just realize whoa i have circled too many things in the catalog people circle things in the catalog anymore no they're shopping on amazon aren't they (laughs) i put too many things in the shopping cart how about that whatever i've done you know I've, i've started to lose perspective and whatever that is today if you can just i'm not asking you to completely change your life today I'm asking you to put things on pause so that you can hear from God with a clear mind and heart. About 45 seconds of silence so that you can get right today, and I'll close this in prayer, and then we'll dive right in.
God, it feels good to just stop. There are people in the room today who are struggling to figure out whether they believe in you. People listening online who don't even know if they want to come to a building where people talk about you. All that comes with angst and frustration and weird feelings. Would you just give us all a deep breath today, wherever we are, wherever we sit, so that we can put the things in order in our life that make sense? Would you be honored by the way that we pause, by the way that we stop to listen, to think clearly, open-mindedly about the priorities in our life? And would you allow us to walk away from this place with a different understanding of who we are and who you are? And we'll listen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Many of you know I I sold my company early in the year. Um, I own a video production company, and I sold it, and it was one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. I get a paycheck every week, and I don't have to write somebody else's, and it has been great. And it's been different at times, but um, my boss, my new boss is a fantastic human being, wonderful Christian guy, um, just been incredibly generous. And he's one of those people in my life that seems to have figured out how to have a lot of things and how to also keep perspective on his things for the most part, you know? And I, I always say this, you know, God, if you just let me win the lottery, I give it all away. But the thing is, God knows the future, and he must know that's not true. <laughs> he must know that I'm the guy that wouldn't do it, that couldn't do it. This is the guy that can somehow be generous and have all this stuff and keep perspective on it. But we, uh, we worked this week in, in Sarasota, Florida, and he's got a huge house in Bloomington with, you know, all the cars that you'd expect and all those things. And and when we got to Sarasota, I didn't realize he, he has a place in Sarasota. You know, people with more than one place just don't talk about it a lot, you know. If, and that's probably why God hasn't given me more than one place. I'm lucky to have one place. But if I did, I'd be like, hey, man, which place are we going to tonight? And I'd say it as loud as I could, and I'd brag about it. That's why God doesn't give me that stuff. But, but you know, I found out when I got there, he's got a place in Sarasota, Florida, in paradise, in the middle of, like, this cool little area. And so we went out there. And I got in his Lexus convertible there in Florida, and I said, man, who's renting Lexus convertibles around here? And he said, this is not a rental. Oh, this is your Florida car. <laughs> like, yeah. So we get in the car, and we go to the beach. It's like, you, you want to walk down to the beach? You, know, you can see it from his balcony. I said, yeah, that area right there is beautiful. Why isn't there anybody? Well, it's a private beach. Oh, so you have your own beach. And as I walk down there, he's talking, and I'm not listening to anything. Because I'm just thinking, wow, I I need new rocks in my driveway. Like, I can't get my car up my driveway because I can't afford a $300 triaxle of rock to get up my driveway. And this guy has a private beach, and I just, you know? And we get out there, and we stand on the beach. And I'm just looking at this, and the sun is going down. We got to shoot some video out there, and it was awesome. And the sun's going down, and just as the sun kind of, you know, how it over, and then the sky lights up. He said, you know what? I, I think I'm going to have my family here for Christmas this year. I think we're just all going to come down here. And I just had this moment where I actually thought, this guy is going to have the best Christmas ever on the beach with the sunset because in my mind, I stand up here as your preacher, and I still, I'll say as many times as I need to, that we need to not be materialistic, that happiness is about people and not about stuff. But when it comes down to it, when it really comes down to it, I believe in the heart of my heart that people who have more stuff have a better life. That more stuff leads to more happy. What is that? So I stood on the beach with him and I said, 
you're going to have a great Christmas. And he didn't miss a beat. This is the kind of perspective he has. He looked over at me and he said, well, not 40 acres of woods and a cabin kind of Christmas, but it'll do. And I, I just, I immediately walked back from this beach and said, God, forgive me. Why can't I be satisfied? Why can't you be satisfied? What is it in you at this Christmas that just needs one more present? The truth is, we all kind of feel like Jackie and Brittany's daughter, don't we? Santa's a monster. I didn't get everything. I didn't, he has two cars. He has two houses, and I can't even put rocks in my driveway. This is what we do at Christmas. I want to give you a chance today to simplify your Christmas. And this is probably the simplest Christmas in, in a long time for me and my family. My kids, when they're real little, sorry those of you who've got little kids and little ones on the way, it just gets complicated. I mean, it's fun, it's exciting, but you're almost glad to go to work because you just need the break from Christmas, you know? It is, you've got to go to these peoples and then these peoples, and then you've got to get pictures with Santa, and she's crying, and she hates it, and then you've got to go over here and pretend it was fun to get pictures with Santa even though she cried, and you've got to do all these things, and, and it's fun and it is great, but it is so complicated. And if, if you're not careful, sometimes when you just have kids, the grand, each grandparent wants to see them, and now you've got which Christmas are we going to which, and Christmas Day is more important than Christmas Eve, and you're going to hurt feelings, and is that person coming, and is that person not? This year, the first time in a long time, I'm living in the cabin where we have Christmas. All, I don't have to put the presents in the car and move them after the kids get them. They're all just going upstairs. This could be the most simple Christmas I've had in a long time. And I, I'm hoping that that you can right now, before it gets any crazier, that you can just pause your life and get some perspective this Christmas. If you can, it has the potential to change who you are. But here's the thing about Christmas. It does this to everybody. And Right now, here's what it does. It exaggerates all the good things in your life, and it exaggerates all the bad things. <laughs> so you'll have moments over the next few weeks where you'll just think, oh my gosh, I'm so blessed to have family around and these things and time off from work or whatever. And then you'll also have moments where you're like, I hate my mother-in-law, or I can't stand that person, or I hate... It, it magnifies everything in our life at this time, at these holidays. So it exaggerates everything. So some of you today, you come in and you don't see a lot to be thankful for. You don't see a lot to be excited about with Christmas. At this time of year, we're reminded of a few things. We're reminded that there are problems that we just can't solve. There are problems going on around us that we just can't solve. I'm going I'm to invite you to do something. The week of Christmas, coming up, those of you who are addicted to the news right now, you're watching whatever channel you watch and you hate the other channel, I know. If you're addicted to the news, if you're addicted to learning or hearing more about ISIS and hearing more about things, I'm going to ask you, the week of Christmas, Turn it off, would you? Just turn it off. You're not going to solve it from your recliner that week, okay? There are problems we realize at Christmas, there are problems we can solve with, with, that we'll never solve with our family. I've got a friend just told me the most amazing story. Maybe this is good for you today. Maybe this is the only reason you came to, is to hear this story. He said his dad and his mom were going through a divorce, and they were older, and he had just had a baby, and... um it was the baby's first Christmas and in that year their mom and dad were going through this divorce and he realized her mom had done some awful things and dad was going to spend Christmas by himself in this big house this great big house that they had all lived in for so long and he was going to spend Christmas all by himself 
And so they decided, you know, what are we going to do? Are we going to cancel our plans? Because their plans were to go fly someplace else, take the baby, and go with her mom and her dad to another Christmas. And they'd they'd always done that, and now the baby's here. Everybody's excited about that. And he said, I just couldn't think about how my dad would feel by himself in the house at Christmas. So they were going to go to his house, have a big Christmas Eve thing, and have a party, and then leave him, get on a plane, and fly somewhere else on Christmas Day and leave him in this house on Christmas. And he said, I, I, I just didn't know what to do, so I called a good friend who has always given me good advice, and he said, what should I do? My dad's going to be alone on Christmas. And he said, here's what I found out. Maybe this is a good advice for you in your life right now. Don't try to solve a problem that's been going on a long time and create a new one. Don't create a new problem with your in-laws and your wife and all this stuff by trying to solve a problem that's been going on that is someone else's thing and he realized there are problems in my life that i'm not going to solve right now and some of those just get exaggerated at christmas there are people we can't control in fact let's just go ahead and say it you can't control anybody (laughs) so whoever's coming to christmas you're not going to control who whatever's going on with your kids right now i know you want them to behave differently but you can't control them This time of year, we're reminded that there are expectations we just can't meet. In-law just can't quite like me enough. I don't feel that way. Let me be clear. She listens every week, so Ma, I don't feel that way. But I know some of you feel that that you just can't quite live up to expectations. And if you actually dig in far enough, that's a whole other sermon, but if you dig in far enough, you know you've got some expectations other people can't seem to live up to, too. And this time of year, all of those things come out around Christmas. But the truth is, if you can get perspective on it, and this is what I'm praying for each of you. I was flying back from Sarasota yesterday and thinking about how blessed I am. And the truth is, uh, this is not exaggeration. It was beautiful there. It was a gorgeous place to be and a great place to work for the week. But I couldn't wait to be in Paragon, Indiana today. Because I, it's the people in our lives that make us happy. And if you can get some perspective on that today, if you can just get a little bit of perspective on that, you'll realize that Christmas is really the most wonderful time of year. But it's not because of the things that are happening right now. In fact, some of us in this place have some awful things happening right now. And if you hear me say Christmas is the most wonderful time of year, you're going to go, uh-uh. And some of you have some good things happening this year, but last year there were But the truth is, Christmas is the most wonderful time of year, but not because of the way things are going right now, but because of something that happened a long time time ago and i want to get some perspective on that i want to start with a a man named john today um most preachers this this month are preaching from matthew mark and luke there are four gospels that uh, we call them the gospels because they tell us the life of jesus and the good news the word gospel means good news and it's the good news that god sent a message in in form of human form that he wants to be the center of history and he wants to be the center of your life. And it was Jesus. And this, this little baby, this story, is through four different perspectives in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they're incredible stories. And they have 
um, real similarities in some places, and in other places, they're completely different. The stories are the same, but the perspectives are different, and it's so cool. These guys did not write at the same time. They didn't sit in the same room and write these things, but they all came together in the story of Jesus. And honestly, this time of year, the story, John's version of it, kind of gets left out. It's sort of the redheaded stepchild of the Gospels during Christmas. There's always the story, you always hear Matthew a little bit. In Matthew, if you've ever heard the story, uh, first chapter of Matthew, it's the begots. And it's the, the, the list of the people that Jesus was, was, um, was related to. And the whole idea was it's fulfilling a prophecy that he was in the line of David. And so this was proving that Jesus was who God said he would be. And in Luke, you hear um, the story that my kids are memorizing right now. They're memorizing all of Luke chapter 2, which is a really cool thing. Um, and you hear that, that Jesus was born in a manger and that, that, uh, that Herod killed all the babies looking for Jesus. And it's a really sad story and a really amazing story in other ways. And we hear a lot of that. Matthew, Mark, uh, Mark gives us a lot of the same kinds of things that Matthew and Luke do. But John starts differently with the story of Jesus. And so as we talk about a different kind of Christmas and maybe stepping back a little bit from Christmas, I want you to just look at John's account of who Jesus was. And just like always, I want to tell you a little bit about this writer. Um, you know, if, you've, if you pick up a book at Barnes & Noble, if you're a reader, um, you, never, you never just pick up a random book by the title. You look at who wrote it, and then you want to look it over and see who, who this person is. And that's always important when we look at the Bible, too. John is a guy that, um, he, it's really interesting, he writes his own kind of biography when it comes to Jesus, and he says he was loved by Jesus. He says he was the disciple that Jesus loved, which I always think is funny. He refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved the most kind of a thing. And it's kind of neat, but the truth is Jesus did really love John. He met John um, in a time where John was a messed up person. Know anybody like that? And John didn't deserve to be a friend of Jesus. He didn't deserve to be close to Jesus. But Jesus wanted him precisely because of that. And the more he got to know Jesus, the more he just fell in love with a human that Jesus was and the way that he taught. And he just became best friends with Jesus to a point where when he was on the cross, when Jesus had his arms out on the cross, he looked down, and can you imagine if you're Jesus' mother standing and watching your son die that kind of a death? And she did. She stood at the cross where Jesus was and watched him and prayed and cried and probably screamed. And standing right beside her through that was John, the disciple that Jesus loved, crying with her, praying with her, sitting with Jesus. And Jesus as he could breathe just a little bit better at times, and other times he would kind of slip out of consciousness laying on the cross, he looked down at, at Mary, his mom, and his friend John, and he said, this is a really cool part of Scripture, he looks and he said, Mary, mother, John is now your son. And he looked in the eyes of John, and he said, John, Mary is now your mother. It's Jesus' way of saying, take care of my mama, <laughs> would you? Take care of my mama, John. This is the man that Jesus said, Take care of my mama. So throughout the life of Mary, the rest of her life, after Jesus died, rose again, and then ascended to heaven, throughout her life, John was responsible for the mother of Jesus, Mary. He took care of her. He took her in as his own mother. He, as, she, as she passed away, he would have taken care of her and loved her and nurtured her. And she would have told him stories about what it was like to, to be chased by the whole kingdom at the time. She would have told him stories of what it was like to find out she was pregnant, knowing that she was a virgin. She would have told him all of these stories about Jesus growing up and the moments that she thought, now this dude just isn't quite like the rest of us. 
Yeah, I just saw a picture on Facebook. It made me think of Mary. Um, I don't know if you've seen this recently, but um, somebody did a cartoon of Jesus as a, like a two or three-year-old, and he's standing on the water in the bath, and Mary says, in the bath, not on, you know? Like, was there a moment that Mary would have gone, well, he looks like me, but this is a different kind of a humor. John heard those stories from Mary. This is the perspective you're getting from John. John also survived a really dark time. I didn't learn a lot in Bible college. I wish I had paid more attention, honestly. But one of the things that I, I learned in Bible college is really helping me through times like this in our history. One of the things I learned about in Bible college is that if we think times now are dark, we should have lived 2,000 years ago. I mean, things are dark right now, and I know it, and I'm not pl- downplaying it at all. But John lived through a time that would have scared us to death. After Jesus died and rose again, John went around doing what Jesus told him to do, and that is not just keep it for himself. See, all the Jews thought that Jesus had come to earth as a baby and was going to be king and take care of all of the Jews there and take care of Jerusalem. But Jesus said, no, I want you to go out and spread this all over. This is for all men, which we'll talk about in a minute. So John started taking this all over the place, and he got on ships, and he shipwrecked a few times, and he had all these incredible stories of times where he risked his life to share the good news of who Jesus was and what he was doing. And in the midst of that, he got to see a man named Nero, who was a, 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 a Roman leader, who went into the city of Jerusalem where Jesus had loved and preached and taught. And the center of Jewish custom and religion, Nero went in and massacred all of John's family and friends and millions of Jews. And anybody he didn't massacre, he did what Rome did at the time. Anytime they had a big job to do or a big thing that they didn't have enough labor for, they'd go in and they would find the Jews or they would find a group of people and they would just take them. And they took 300,000 of them during John's lifetime to go put into the slave market. And John had to see all of this. My guess is John was probably in the middle of it. He probably escaped and he had to get people out. He probably saw his mother, his kids, his friends all beheaded at one point, he was, he was the very last disciple, and it was at the end of his life, and, 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 and he just kind of gets to the point where he says, I've got to write all this down before I lose it. And that's when we get the story of John. John is the guy, honestly, the Bible, out of all the Bible, John is the man who changed my life personally. He, he wrote that God is one word. One word. He reduced God to one word. And all of my studying um, through Bible college and all of my stuff, I actually lost my faith. And I, 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 at times, I still struggle with my faith. And when I do, I go back to what John says about God. He reduced God to one word. He said, God is love. Now, wait a minute. Does that mean when I'm watching the Hallmark Channel around Christmas, even as bad of acting as it is, they're telling a story about love, and I get like choked up and I tear up a little bit? Yeah, that's God. You mean I don't have to see handwriting on the wall? You mean I don't have to see a miracle? No, no, no. Every time you feel that thing in the deepest part of who you are, that longing for love, that longing for someone else, that desperate thing that you have for your kids, that is God. John pointed, John was the first one in history to point at that and say, that is God. John Mitchell When you doubt, 
when you think there's no way God can be in the midst of this, and then you look at your daughter and you think, I would give my very life for that thing, that thing that's in the bottom of your belly at that moment, that is God. John is the one who said that. In the midst of his life, in the midst of the darkest thing you can possibly imagine, I know you're going through hard times in this place. I know that America is a scary place to live right now. I know that ISIS has fear at the top of a lot of our runs. But the truth is, John lived through such a harder time than we are living right now, and he never lost his faith. He never had a moment where he gave up. And he reduced God to one word. He said, God is love. He never lost his faith. And he starts the story of Jesus different than the rest of the disciples. This is why the, the, the account of John um, is my favorite account of Jesus um, in, in the Gospels. He starts this way. John believed that, that, or actually he ends the book. I'm going to start that. Sorry, I, I got confused with my notes here. He, we're going to start with the way he ends because he goes through his whole, uh, the whole book of John, his whole letter. And remember, this is not something he wrote in chapters. This is something he probably, somebody sat with him and he dictated and he just wrote. Now, a, a lot of us grew up in church. Um, I grew up in a church that believed that God had, or, or that, that, that preached that God had, had penned every word in the Bible, that somehow that John and John's writers were just robots, and that God was speaking, and that God was actually writing the Bible. I don't believe that. I don't believe that, because I don't think that's how God works now. I think God uses human story to tell his story, and I think that's what he did with John. I think John used his own words, his own experience, and it made it so powerful that it's, it's changing my life, reading his story. And as he writes, he, you, you just read the book of John, he writes with such passion and such energy, and at the end of it he says this, he says, Jesus provided far more God-revealing signs than are written down in this book. In fact, in a, in a way he says, all the libraries and all the world couldn't, couldn't write all of the things, couldn't, you couldn't read all the things that that Jesus did. These are written down. He said, this is why I'm writing. These are written down so that you will believe. Believe that Jesus was a good man? Believe that Jesus is the reason for the season? No. Believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, the Messiah would have meant the one. The one to save everyone. The Son of God. And in the act of believing, have, read this, real and eternal life in the way that he revealed it. This Christmas, do you know you have a chance of real life? If you're over the age of 30, you know what I mean by that. You've woken up on a Tuesday morning and couldn't remember whether it was Tuesday or Thursday because it just feels like the day before. What am I doing? Is this life, uh, is this the way life is supposed to be? And you just, at the very bottom, the gut, the Bible calls it your soul, at the bottom of who you are, you just know there's more. You know that real life is available. John says, if you really take Jesus at his word, if you really take this story for real, it leads you to that thing at the bottom of your soul, that thing you knew existed. It's here and it's available. John believed that God sent Jesus not just to be a good story, not to make a good nativity under your Christmas tree, that he sent Jesus to be the center of history. In fact, that's the way we talk about history now, B.C., before Christ. He is the very center 
of our story. But more than that, John believed not only did Jesus come to, or did God send Jesus to be the center of the story, but he, John believed sincerely that God sent Jesus to be the center of your life, of the way that you do things, every decision you make, everything that happens in your life, every relationship you have, every moment that is good, every moment that is bad. John believed that what Jesus came for was not to just die on the cross for people's sins. It was not just to have a moment where God said, I was right, you were wrong. It's for him to have a place in your life right now. John believed that fervently. And here's the thing about it. You believe it too. You know it, don't you? That the baby's not just a good story. In the deepest part of who you are, you know that God wants to be where you are. John begins this story of Jesus differently. I'm going to end my sermon with it this day. Um, if, you, if you're reading on a daily basis and you're reading the Bible, I know you're, if you're reading devotions this time of year and you're on version or one of those things, they're going to have you read Matthew or Luke, probably, because that's where we read. Would you go to John this year to read the, the Christmas story? If you read it at home around the Christmas tree, just consider reading it from the book of John. He starts this way. He starts totally different. He doesn't start with a, a genealogy. He doesn't start with a story in a manger. He starts this way. He says, Jesus, in him was life. Real life. And that life was the light all mankind. I, I meant to bring my million candle light today to shine in your face. You'd love that, I know. I forgot I left it sitting this morning. But you know the you know you know the analogy that John goes for here. It's a it's not a little light, it's not a, a big lighter. It's a light that is for all mankind. Now that would have been a huge statement. See, because uh, for all the Jews That's what they thought Jesus came for. For all the good people, that's what the religious people taught. John says, no, 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 it's better than that. It's for all mankind. This is for everyone. Could you this year put a different face on everyone? When you talk to your kids about why Jesus came, would you you paint an African-American face for them? Would you talk to them about how the fact that Jesus came for Muslim children? For people who don't look like you. In fact, start to tell your kids that when you get to heaven, there are going to be more people who don't speak your language than people who do. When you get to heaven, there are going to be more people who don't have your skin color than people who do. And by the way, Jesus didn't have your skin color either. And while you teach your kids, would you listen? Because the truth is, this story is not for America. This story is not for Paragon. This story is for all mankind. And if you get that today, it'll change your life. He says, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. One of the things Jesus hated most, and I don't use that word hate loosely because he didn't hate very many things, but one of the things he hated most while he was on earth was people who thought that he was just for them. People who thought they had a corner on good. People who thought that Jesus was in their corner, but not in everybody else's corner. Jesus despised it so much that he called those kinds of people snakes. He called them hypocrites. John 
scared to death to be a category where Jesus hates. So he is every chance. He says, for all mankind. Everybody get that? For everyone. Not just for me. For everyone. And he says, the light shines in the darkness. Did you, did you know that right now, when, when John wrote this, it was about as dark as it had ever been in his life. Always running from something. He had seen darkness like you will never see. And in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of Nero coming in and destroying the Jews, the light stood. In the midst of the Crusades and the awful things that some people did in the name of Jesus, the light stood. The light still shone. In the midst of the world wars, when Hitler tried to destroy anybody who didn't look or act like him, the light stood. And in the midst of the fear that has overtaken America right now and overtaken our world, the light will stand. The light of the world is here. John knew it at the time, and he knows this will not be snuffed out. He says the light and the darkness, and then he says the darkness has not and will not overcome it. I took my son on a night hike just recently. It was, it's a rite of passage as a Mitchell, the night hike. It's, a, it's a going in the woods, and you know, you've, you've got a flashlight, but you get so far up in the woods, and then you turn the flashlight off, and your night vision comes, and you just see differently, and you hear differently, and you feel as you walk through the woods. And I thought it was about time for Reese, mostly because he started acting pretty tough around his friends about how cool he was about the woods, and he needed the fear of God in him a little bit. And there's nothing any better for a kid who's got a little arrogance problem than to end up in the middle of the woods by himself in the dark. And even as close as he was to me, it feels like you're by yourself. So we went in the woods and had the flashlight at first. And Man, I'm telling you, this little guy, he's a confident guy, and he was attached to my leg with a flashlight. I mean, I, I got the flashlight, and he is like right on my behind, and everywhere I move, I'm moving with him. You know, it's just like he's attached to me like those koala bears, you know, just attached, and, and he's following the light all the way up in the woods. Finally, we got to a point, we got to the top of the woods, and I know where I'm at. I grew up in this woods, but it's confusing. We got off the trail, and he said, Dad, the trail's back there. I said, we don't need a trail. Uh-oh. Man, grip tighter. And we started off off the trail in a direction I'd been lost in before. I knew where I was. And we got up, and all of a sudden, I turned the flashlight off, and I started doing one of these things. Uh-oh. You know one thing you don't want to hear the one person you trust in the dark say? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. No flashlight. What are we going to do, Reese? Dad, 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 dad? I said, well, which direction's the house? I don't know. Well, maybe we should build a fire. Oh, man. Seven-year-old building a fire in the middle of the woods for no reason? This is awesome. We built a fire. And we had to build it from, you know, he thought it was from scratch, but I had some of those, like, quick fire starters in my pocket. He never knew that. He thought I was pretty awesome, but they started real fast right in the middle of the rain. He didn't realize it. We, start, we started this fire, and we sat there, and we warmed up, and we got close to a rock, and he thought we were in the middle of nowhere. I knew right where we were. And we, the more we sat there, the more comfortable he got. And I started telling him stories about the woods. And I'll, I'll never forget this moment with my son, because these places that I grew up 
I started sharing with him. That, that rock over there, buddy? Yeah, your, your uncle and I jumped off of that one time, and I had to drag him back home, and he hurt his leg and told that story. Yeah, one time we got lost up here, and we had SpaghettiOs for breakfast, and then SpaghettiOs for lunch, and then they licked the can for dinner, and we had to get back. And, and we had all those stories, and about half of them were really true, actually. And um, No, I'm just kidding. And we sat there for a long time, and the more I told him stories about where we were, the more he realized he was never in danger. The more he realized Dad knows where he is, and Dad's got this thing, the more he felt like he's got it. So he started standing up and going and going to the outskirts of the fire to find more sticks. And I would take a stick and I'd throw it over by him and then do this. And something would move. <laughs> Dad, I think I, I think I saw something big over there. I'm like, yeah, you did. You did. Yeah, yeah. I think it was Bigfoot. I'm pretty sure it was Bigfoot. You know. And uh, we, so we had those conversations. And finally, the fire dies down. And I said, "So, um, did you have a hard time seeing on the way here with your flashlight?" He said, well, I just hung on to you. I said, well, that's a good thing to do when you're scared. But there's a better way to get home. Why don't you take the flashlight? He said, Dad, the flashlight's dead. And I said, no, it's not. <laughs> Dad, you know. I said, you, why don't you take the light? So he took us from the fire to the house, and he led me with the flashlight. I'm telling you that story because I love it. But also because... Some of you have done nothing but follow the light. You've done nothing but come to a church and chase the light. You know it's here. You know that Jesus is the light. And you've done nothing but try to chase it and try to grab it. The invitation is not to chase the light. The invitation is not just to hold on to the one that has the light. The invitation is to hold the light, to have it in your life in a way that changes everything you see. It's an, it, what the, the story of Christmas is not just about a good news that ends January 1st when you have to go back to work, January 2nd. The good news of Jesus is the light came for you to have in your life so that you could see in the darkness, so that you could shine it on the things that hurt most and the brokenness in your life. And the truth about John's light, the truth about the light of Jesus is that it will not be overcome no matter how dark it gets. It is dark in some of your life right now. What you need is not a nice sign. It's not an ugly Christmas sweater party. What you need is not another gift. It's not another ornament on the Christmas tree. What you need is the light that came to give hope to your life and will not be overcome by the darkness. When you take the light yourself instead of just follow it, you begin to see everything differently. And I'll go further than that. Those of you who are new parents, guys, don't, tell, don't just tell your kids Christmas stories. Those of you who have children, children at home looking at you wanting to know what you're going to do with the light, don't just talk about the light. Tell them what it's like to have it in your life. Tell them what it's like to live life with the light and not be overcome no matter how bad things are. When you take the light yourself instead of follow, just follow it, you see everything differently. I'll give you a chance today to do that. Van, you guys can come up. I'm about done. 
The thing about the whole mankind comment is that it, if you're not careful, you sing it enough and you start to feel like it's for everybody, but it's not really just for me. The truth is it is for everybody and it's just for you. No matter how dark it gets, this light cannot be snuffed out. Today, don't be satisfied with chasing the light. Here's the thing I love about God. When it comes to talking to God, when it comes to praying with God, he, he says that he's not dependent on your language. It's a good thing, isn't it? Like, he doesn't need you to say the right thing when you pray. Did you know that? He doesn't need you to, to think the right thing or to say the right thing. He just needs you to open your life to him, open your heart to him, because he sees in the deepest part of your soul. So today, he's heard this sermon, and he knows where we're at, you and I, and what I've said today. If you just say to him, I want to hold the light. I want the light inside. I don't want to just look at it. I don't want to just celebrate it. I want the light in my life. That's the good news. The gospels, the four gospels, the word means good news. And I think we've watered down the good news too much. It was pretty neat that a baby came. Pretty neat that he was born in a manger. But the good news is better than that. The good news is that he, he lives again. That he wants to do life with you on a daily basis. Pretty neat that he died on the cross for everyone's sin. And it's pretty amazing that he rose again to heaven and invited the people around him to, to live the way he did. But the good news is even better than that. The good news is right here, right now, you don't have to walk out of this place without the light in your life today. And then lastly, those of you that accepted this light today, would you, would you be an advocate for it at Christmas? I mean, this is what God wants from those who follow him all the time. To be the one in the room while people are talking about the darkness that remembers the light. To be the one comment on Facebook when all of them are bad that focuses on the light. Things get bad this Christmas between you and your family members, and they will. It's Christmas. It does. Would you be an advocate for the light? When, when the news gets bad, and it will, by the time you get home, there'll be something new. Would you stand up for the light today? Those of you who have already accepted the light in your life, would you stand up for your life? Every time, it, every time you do, it gets brighter in your own life. It's what God wants from you. I want to give you the chance today. Some of you, you know, you remember that song, Hide It Under a Bushel? No. I'm going to let it shine. You know, all these Christmas songs and have these big words in it, that's really my speed right there. I'm going to let it shine. That's about as far as I get intellectually with a song. The truth is, some of you have hit it. You've covered it. You've forgotten it. You've been absorbed by other things in your life. God just says, just say the word and let it shine today. Give you that chance. I'm going to go back to that corner. I'd love to pray with you, but this is just between you and God. Would you stand with us today and sing?